we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 188 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. This is an Australian podcast that looks at news and politics and religion and goings on in the world, especially in Australia, but also around the world. Normally there is a panel of privileged white fellas, and tonight is no exception. Uh, I am Trevor, your host. Um, a complicated collection of cells swimming around in a bag, but and I identify as Trevor. <laughs> I've been reading a book about evolution, and it's just fascinating how we've just evolved out of amoebas to where we are now. And what day is it today? Um, today is the 12th of February. And, and what day is 12th of February? Two days before Valentine's Day. I don't Come know. on, you guys. 12th of February. What, what is it? Charles Darwin's birthday. Oh, oh really? Okay. Right. Well, happy birthday, Charles Darwin. Yes. Of course, with me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. G'day, Scott. And Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Scott. G'day, listeners. And we're going to be joined a bit later on by Dominic. We'll catch up with him on Skype. But beforehand, thought we'd review last week... Um, I haven't seen you guys for two weeks. It feels like ages, doesn't it? It like, does. It feels yeah. like a lot's happened. We've only got one six-pack left of um, our pale ale, but oh, still in all. Oh, yeah, I'll we'll have a beer report later. I got yeah. contacted by another um, beer sponsor. Oh, did you? Picking some up tomorrow. <laughs> Outstanding work. <laughs> Fantastic. Indeed. Yeah. Adam has come through with some. Adam. So more about that next week. But um, – uh, last week's episode, my review of God forbid, got that off my chest, and it seemed like a good time to slip that in. And uh, it went very well. So I know yeah. that's not normal cup of tea, and you know you can tell in the consumption statistics for the podcast that you know not everybody listened like they normally would, but that's fair enough. Like um, that's totally expected. So uh, normally, dear listener, just to give you an idea, um, in Apple Podcast app, they keep track of how much of a podcast people listen to. And if you assume that the other apps, you know, people have got a similar consumption level, I can tell you that um, mostly around the 90% mark people actually listen to of the whole podcast. And uh, last episode was closer to 50. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, that, but that's all right. So, um, but anyway. That, that's really you know, fascinating because I thought it was an excellent part. I thought it was an excellent episode. No, I enjoyed it too. Something like um, our Gillette with the gender and race and class, like that was two hours and 82% people consumed wow. that. And we had 400 downloads. That, so that was a bit of a record for us, that one. So, dear yeah. listener, just, you know, what we're up to. So, we need more multinational corporations to re- release controversial promotional videos. Yeah, we do. That we can tear apart. Mm. If you're listening for the first time, we normally jump into a hodgepodge of topics, but we're being a bit self indulgent here. And, <laughs> boys, um, I actually, I spoke to Brian Morris. Uh, he sort of corresponded with me and he was saying we really need to pitch for a secular program at the ABC. And But I really can't think of a program that I think the ABC would accept that would be interesting enough. But, what about this one? So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, didn't you hear what I said? One that the ABC would accept? <laughs> yeah. I think the ABC would accept this one. It's, yeah, I, um, I, I, you know, it's just... The, 
three affable chums yeah, talking exactly. about secular stuff. Yeah. What could be better? Yeah, we could do it volunteer basis. We don't yeah. need to get paid for it. So. Yeah, speak for yourself. <laughs> anyway, thinking caps on, dear listener, if you get an idea for a secular program that might find its way. Uh, as acceptable to the ABC, Brian would organise a delegation to make a pitch. So let me know if you've got any ideas. And, boys, you were down in Melbourne for the Secular Party event, which was about ex-Muslims telling their story. And you've even got the T-shirt. Got the T-shirt to Mm. prove it. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Yes, we were down in Melbourne and it was was a good event. It was a really good event, actually, yeah. It was, Uh, um, I think, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was probably a 7 or 8, the event, possibly even a 9. It was very well done. Basically, four female, two male ex-Muslim people talking about their experiences, you know, a bit of background life story, uh, how they came to decide that they no longer wanted to be Muslims, you know, basically through loss of belief, loss of, you know, belief in the core tenets of the religion, loss of belief in the existence of God, and then what they went through you know, in terms of uh, family issues, uh, friends, you know, objections from people around them in their communities. If, mm. if Probably it- the person whose story grabbed me the most was that English bloke, the English bloke from Pakistan. You know, his parents were Pakistanis. He was born in England. Now, he left the religion and became a Christian. He was a, he was an extra. He wasn't part, yeah, of, he wasn't part, part of the, the, the lineup. No, he was number six on the whole, number seven on the whole lot. He was had a really harrowing story. You know, it was bloody awful what had been done to what, him. What was most harrowing, leaving Islam or joining Christianity? I don't know. But it was what was probably most <laughs> harrowing for yeah. him was being chased down by Muslims. He had the mm. he had the coppers turn up on his doorstep once and he says, we've got armed police here to escort you. He said, well, where? He says, we're going to get you out of here because there's a mob that wants to kill you. Wow. Now, that is... Absolutely bloody disgusting. No, and that was in the in England. Yes. Right, yeah. So, you know, you can understand something like that happening mm. on the streets of Karachi, not in um, whatever part of England he was from. Mm. Anyway, we've got all their contact yeah. details. And so we might be able to um, organise some other interviews with them. And absolutely. And there might be – well, there are recordings of the whole show and we'll let people know when they're available mm. somewhere, wherever that yeah. might be. Mm. So. Um, so yeah, so that was good. Yeah, mm. look, I'd, I'd like to say I think um, a lot of credit goes to John Perkins for mm. organising it, mm. and good uh, you, John and his daughter Alice did a fine job at the door, uh, checking people's tickets and, yep. you know, helping out generally. Uh, right, yeah, it was it, it was a good job. I mean, it was a very you know small group of people who mm. actually organised, mainly John Perkins, and uh, I think Harris Sultan helped him a lot. And uh, anyway, they did, did a very did good job. Did anybody know of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast or uh, totally? Well, by the end one? of it, we were talking to people about it. We went up there, we introduced mm. ourselves, said we had a podcast and every single one we spoke to said they'd be quite happy to talk to yes. us. I don't so, think they had heard of it. but yeah. they, No, they hadn't heard of it, mm. but they were, you they know. They were I, open to the contact, yeah. 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 So, all right, well, um I might just see if uh, Dom is ready. Mm-hmm. To see if he's see if he's online and try him. So uh, here we go. Hello, Dom. Hello, Trevor. Welcome aboard, Dom. You're one of our patrons. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Great. So. 
Um, what's your story, Dom? Have you got one that you can tell us? Or have you been a, a rabid secularist or atheist for a long time? Or is there any backstory that we need to know about you that brings you to our right. humble podcast? Well, I'm an avid secularist, um, mad atheist, actually anti-theist. I was in the, the vein of the old Richard Dawkins and um, Hitchens era. Yep. And I, um, when the secular party first started up, actually, I, I think they used to be Freedom from Religion or something, some other party, Freedom Religion Party, and uh, they changed to the secular party. I think in the first few months I joined up because I thought it might have been a really valuable cause to join up. Yep. And um, today's world just um, just blows me away, the idiocy and the politics and the religion and the anti-secularism and just people don't even understanding what that means. It's driven me to become an extreme secularist, I suppose. Yeah. Even our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has no idea, does he? If, oh well, did you God. listen to last week's episode? Mm-hmm. With, I, did. Got, yeah, I did. And they played that bit where he just has no idea of what secular... He just thinks it's another faith. He thinks it's another religion. I think sometimes they confuse it with sectarianism or something like that, where they think it is another belief system. Well, that's what happened to me. When Scott and I were run, we were in the secular party and we ran for the Senate in Queensland and standing there on polling day handing out our flyers, I had, um, in the lead up to that, I would talk to people and say, oh, we're part of the uh, secular party. And a number of people thought sectarian, what, what thought we were... Uh, a religious party of some sort. So people's mm. vocabulary wasn't up to the task of working out what the secular party was. Mm. So that was the that was Joe Public. I, I would have hoped for better from our Prime Minister, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> My wife worries about that too, that name secularism, because she thinks you know, no one knows what it is. Yeah. She's quite, um, quite true. Yeah. So um, now um, uh, I just did a quick review of last week. Anything you want to add from the my review of um, oh, what was it? God the forbid. God forbid. Any thoughts on that one, Don? God forbid. <laughs> you... I think I'm like I'm like both you and how are you, Scott? Too. Sorry, Good, thank you. Say hello. <laughs> um, I oh, I can't watch those shows anymore because you're right. They get on there and they get the religious people having all their say, and they, they miss the secularists on there or the atheists on there. Always miss the point, and they just mm. don't get straight to the um, the real argument. Yeah, yeah. So you're as frustrated as the rest of us. Oh, so, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Mm. I mean, what? in the secularist defence, though, they were outnumbered. You know, you had two ganging up on one. Mm. If you'd had one versus one, I think it would have been a lot easier for the secularist to get his point across. Mm. But yeah, I do think it was. It is pretty frustrating, though. Yeah, that's right. And when one misses the point, the other, like like um, they did, that other pair. Um, have their own point of view and then they can say, oh, you missed that point, so let me bring that one in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in, in, that, in that I was talking about a soft theocracy and a couple of things I came across just in readings after that and one is uh, I came across a thing about the National Student Leadership Forum on Faith and Values and this is a four-day conference that brings together today's leaders and the leaders of tomorrow to discuss openly who they are and what they believe. And this all happens down in Canberra with our politicians. And um, I'm just going to read the blurb that's on the on the webpage. It says it's easy to begin with great – well, actually what they're doing is they're gathering all the really – the leaders, the school captains, the bright young sparks in different schools and inviting them down to, to Canberra. 
or that they've come across at universities or whatever, but they're, you know, picking the future leaders who have shown potential. Uh, in the blurb it says, it is easy to begin with great idealism, but to become disillusioned and cynical in the face of adversities and disappointments. That's why our faith and values are so important. Jesus of Nazareth introduced the concept of servant leadership when he said to his followers that unlike the leaders of the day who lorded it over people, it will not be so with you. Instead, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And it goes on on this blurb to say, we have adopted this idea of servant leadership as the broad theme of the forum. And further on it says, the National Student Leadership Forum is an opportunity for the emerging generation to discuss the significance of faith and values as foundation for effective leadership. Yet further on they say, yeah, we're not a religious thing. You know, we invite people of all walks of life. How could they claim not to be religious when they say Jesus of Nazareth introduced the concept of servant leadership? No no self-respecting. And and where's their evidence for that claim? Well, I mean, it's probably in the Bible. It's just an example of soft theocracy where they're bringing young leaders in. I would love somebody with money to create a couple of different things. Exactly the same thing, but for, you know, with a secular, you know, theme behind it. Or we spoke many, you know, a long time ago, Scott, about secular confirmation ceremonies. Did you ever mm-hmm. hear that one, Dom, yes. when we spoke about that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah in European countries where... It was in Finland, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it could... Oh, I can't get the Finland. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> because I've got Dom Finland on... Finland or Iceland. It was because one I've got of Dom on Skype, I can't reach for my theme music as easily. <laughs> You've got... But yeah, in, in, they would have a secular confirmation ceremony where they would teach kids things that they're not going to learn in school just about sort of citizenship type being issue. being decent people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But if somebody had some money to do that here, mm. that would be great. So, yeah. Um, gentlemen, just on some general politics news, we had the Banking Royal Commission and uh, the Commissioner Hain came out and was scathing in his words about the banks. But ultimately, not much is going to change, it seems. No, not a lot's going to change. I mean, like, the media's been beating their chest about um, the CEO and the chairman of the NAB. Ken Henry's the chairman of the NAB. I can't think what the CEO's name is, but they've both stepped down now. Mm. You know, they've been beating their chest about that, but that's only going to be two that are gone. I fail to see how, you know, I know the mortgage brokers came in for a hell of a lot of criticism. And he has proposed getting rid of the upfront commissions that the banks pay to mortgage brokers. The government's already said they're going to get rid of the trailing commissions. But, you know, I thought the mortgage brokers had a very good point when they said that out of the numbers of percentages of complaints to the tribunal, less than 1% were about mortgage brokers. The rest of them were all about the banks. Yet the mortgage brokers have copped it. Yeah, but part – well, Don, have you got any view on this? Yeah, I think I agree with Scott what he's saying there because um, when I, I've had a bad experience with a bank recently, I mean, it's nothing to do with the broker that put me there. It's the banks just um, are a law unto themselves. They do whatever they like. And, um, you know, the broker gets you in there in the first place. And I don't mind them getting a commission because they're doing their job and they're getting me the best deal. Yeah. I think that's just how the world goes around, doesn't it? Yeah. Wasn't there some suggestion that the brokers might be favouring certain banks? Over others, that 
may or may not. Well, depending be on a higher commission, well, that depends on the commission that's paid. Yeah. You know, that, that, and that's the whole point. You're never going to know because you can't get access to what the commission rates are and that type of thing. You can't be sure whether or not you're being funneled off to the person that's going to pay the highest commission, or whether you're not going to be funneled off to who the person that's giving you the best rate. Yeah. See, you said there wasn't any complaints really about mortgage brokers, mm. but there was a lot of complaints about the banks who accepted documents from mortgage brokers, which were dodgy. Yeah, absolutely. And they were criticised for not checking. Mm. And there's a clear conflict of interest where the mortgage broker is like, I don't care whether these people can pay this loan or not. Like, it's just the bigger the loan, if I can get them signed up, I'll get paid. Okay, so um, the point I was going to make was that – did you just crack a beer open, Dom? <laughs> did you? No, I didn't. Oh, it sounds like a beer. It's a very metallic sounding noise. <laughs> what? That was a metallic sound, but it wasn't beer. Oh, <laughs> you've disappointed me. I was going to give you three cheers for that, Dom. <laughs> I was waiting for you to mention your beer, though, tonight, because I had a little, um, I forget what it was, a Rogers or something. Okay. We'll get on to a beer report soon, Dom. But you. you <laughs> You're in the spirit of it. But here's the thing about uh, the Banking Royal Commission is what you've got is mortgage brokers who are uh, under an incentive to sign people up to a, the biggest loan possible because they get more um, commission and they don't really care to a large extent whether somebody can pay it or not because the bulk of their fee is up front. Sure, they get some trailing commission, so if the whole thing fell over in three years' time, they'd miss out on some trailing commission. But essentially, they'll, they're prepared to fudge figures if necessary to get a deal through because it's not their problem I if it's think, a bad loan. I think that whole uh, fudging of figures has been dealt with, though, in the prior to – I think it was the um, Labor government that had put through a load of reforms that um, finished all that sort of thing off. Well, that's not what the Royal Commission said. So the Royal Commission heard that ANZ had failed to accurately verify the living expenses of home loan customers referred to the bank by mortgage brokers, believing it was the responsibility of the brokers in spite of a conflict of interest in doing so. And Commissioner Hayne questioned whether the CBA was economical with the truth in failing to tell customers the value of commissions, um, uh, heard that um, brokers are rewarded for encouraging customers to enter larger home loans and for longer terms than needed. And the commission heard that, similar to ANZ, Westpac believed it was not its responsibility to verify loan applicants' personal expenses, with this responsibility resting with brokers, especially for car loans, blah, blah, blah. So... It's a real conflict of interest where the brokers are saying, here's all the paperwork, these guys are good for it, they meet all your criteria, and the bank's saying, well, we'll just accept what you've given us, and the poor consumer at the end getting lumped with something that is inappropriate and maybe is too much for them. And Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I would have thought that um, the banks should probably take a higher kicking the pants for that because they've got the ones that have to actually approve the loans in the end. Yeah. But clearly there's a problem there. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, you know, you're right, the buck stops with the bank in that issue of being double-checking everything given to it. But what's happened is the commissioner has said, 
well, not happy with this broker arrangement. We need to get rid of brokerage fees and trailing commissions, and if people want to use a broker, the borrower should be paying a fee-for-service up front, which is effectively never going to happen. So Commissioner Hain has basically recommended a system which will just abolish mortgage brokers, and that will put more That'll just market concentrate power, power in the, power the banks. Of the banks. banks. Exactly. So they're actually going to come out of this, out of better this commission off. better off. Mm. So he's said a lot of words about the nasty banks, but he's actually decided to just hive off a whole section that at least separated some power. Mm. And, and concentrate influence and power in the four big banks. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. And and again, there'll just be more conflict of interest where the staff within banks will be incentivized to sell stuff and there'll be nobody outside looking and comparing. And it'll be less convenient for the customer as well because then they have to contact a bank instead of their local mortgage broker. Yeah. Mm. So so I don't know about sorry, you were gonna say something, Don? My experience with brokers has been entirely positive and they've been um, a little bit stricter than the banks and then they want me to get as much information as possible to verify all my statements and all my income and expenditure. And um, then they can do that great comparison for you for the rates where the bank's not going to tell you who's got the best rate. Mm. Mm. So, you know, well, after the Royal Commission, there's a good chance all those brokers are going to disappear. Like, if, yeah. if we'll share, have to wait and the see. Share price because the brokerage com- companies well, fell precipitously. Well, that's right. The bank shares went up. Meanwhile, Mortgage Choice and other brokerage companies went down thirty percent. Mm. The government has taken a fairly um, benign view of mortgage broking. They have said they want to end the trailing commissions, but they aren't enamoured with the commission's recommendation that the uh, upfront commissions should be paid for by the borrower, Mm. which I tend to agree with because, you know, the banks are going to come out of that completely unscathed. They're not going to have to pay anything. Mm. Whereas at least by having to pay an upfront commission to a broker, some of their cost has been passed on. Mm. Whereas this way you're going to have a bloke that's going to be going in there paying for a fee for service and the banks are going to be able to get 100% of the money. It's a tricky one. I mean, are these brokers, are they advisors or are they salespeople? You know, if if they're an advisor, they're under a strict duty of, of care. Well, I mean, if they're a salesperson, then it's buyer beware. You don't trust them. Yeah, I don't. Well, it's you know, hard to know where they fall, these guys. You know, Anne, she's a, she's a mortgage yeah. broker. Yeah. You know, and... I um, trust Anne. Hello, Anne. Yeah, if she's listening. Yeah, she's yeah. Oh, she probably listening, so yeah. Right. Um, you know, I would trust her. Yeah, because she is a very she's an accountant by training. Blah 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 blah. You trust all accountants? Oh, well, right. not all of them, but I do tend to trust them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's an industry that's full of some shonks, I think. And Look, we, I think we there know probably it. are we there know. probably are some shonks out there. But, you know, Anne isn't one of them. So. But we trust Anne because we know she's a very decent person yeah. rather yeah. than just because she's an accountant, I yeah. would have thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Greens. Are you a fan of the Greens, Dom? Oh, <laughs> not really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, have some pretty, they have some pretty crazy policies. Some of it's good, but the rest of it, they're going a bit SJW, for me. Yeah, very SJW. And 
they've had a bit of a crisis um, involving former Batman candidate Alex Barthel, who's called in her lawyers and over her treatment by the party. And the Greens decided that they would set up their own inquiry as to what happened internally and sort things out. And they decided to call it the Truth, Healing and Reconciliation Process. <laughs> the problem is that they couldn't even start that inquiry without members of the Greens saying, I'm offended by the name of this inquiry. (laughs) 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 Because it's mirrored commissions established in the post-apartheid South Africa and South Sudan. It was deemed inappropriate. They may not be a very inspiring political party, but they're good entertainment. (laughs) So they couldn't even... They couldn't even initiate an inquiry with a name. They're arguing over the name of the inquiry before they got anywhere else. Uh, Meanwhile, Dommy, are you a fan of Tony Abbott by any chance? (laughs) (laughs) No, but my mother-in-law is. Oh, is she? Oh, how's Christmas Day with your mother-in-law then? Do you have conversations? (laughs) (laughs) We we can't talk about policy or religion because it ends up in um, really bad arguments. Does your partner tell you you're just not allowed to discuss sex, politics, and religion? Well, she tries to stick clear of it, but um, no, she absolutely loves Tony Abbott. She loves posting about him on Facebook, and she doesn't think there's anything wrong with his comment about women at the ironing board and all that sort of stuff. She loves it. Right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, he's in for the fight of his life because one of the, as an independent, uh, Zali Stegall. Stegall is running in his. So she's an independent, Zali Stegall, ex-Olympic skier, now barrister, but an independent. And Tony Abbott, in a piece, had the temerity to say that he's in for the fight of his life and he's taking aim at negative, cashed-up independence. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Tony Abbott. I really poor, poor positive Tony because these people are very negative and he's never negative. He's never negative, and, and they're <sighs> cashed up and powerful as opposed to him, who's yeah. who's he's got the resources of the Liberal Party behind yep. him. Yeah, you know, and, and, and powerless. The only, and the only reason that bastard survived the last election is because um, Malcolm Turnbull personally intervened. Yeah. And, you know, then he turned around and stabbed him in the back after that. There's pictures of him in front of a of a temporary toilet block at Manly Beach where he's going. You know, Australia's most iconic beach deserves better toilet facilities than this. Yes. Yeah. How, how long has he been the local member? It, it, it's like, how long has he been the Prime Minister? Like, exactly. why are you whinging about the toilet block at Manly when you were Prime Minister? If you couldn't have got that done and now you're, now you're agitating for change? It's the thing that really gave me the shits about that yeah. is that he, he carried on about he, he was talking about tunnels and all that sort of stuff to ease traffic congestion. He's running on a state slash local electorate. Mm. You know, he's not he's not talking about the big issues which affect us nationally. Mm. I, mean, but, I really hope Zali Stegall wins. Yeah, but in the end, Tony Abbott was probably a better prime minister than the current nutbag in the position because Scott Morrison is just. He's hit the panic button. He's just fear-mongering now over all sorts of stuff. And um, Yeah, i got to admit I saw that vote today that went, that they lost on the, on the floor of the House. Oh, there was a vote, was it? Yeah, there what, was a what vote. What happened? No, the, the government lost the, uh, lost the vote. But they lost. So that would be the first time in no, 90 years. No, since That's 1929 right. that a government lost, lost a vote. A vote. Yeah. I think it was wow. close. It was 74, 75 to 74. 74. Wow. 
There you go. He mm. was extremely close, but you know, after that, because it was it was on Sky, so after that you had Credlin. Yeah. And you listened to Credlin. I did watch Credlin this afternoon. Yes, forgive me, Father, for <laughs> um, it was the way they were carrying on. They'd swear that Shorten had just handed the government the election. Right. Yeah. They reckon that Shorten has opened the wounds and that sort of stuff for the old labour failures and blah 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 on border protection. I, I, I mean, I think it was an error of Shorten to back the whole thing because it's going to be it's going to give the government something that they can kick him in the head with. No, 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 no. Well, I was reading something from Paul Bongiorno who said uh, this is not 2001 um, and Scott Morrison is not John Howard, a long-term, a long-time Prime Minister, and the world is not reeling from the horrors of September 11 terrorist attacks. So it's a different... It's a different atmosphere. People are, is, not, it is, it is, people are not scared no, of, then, of uh, the Islamic uh, yellow peril coming exactly. down through. I know they're not scared of it, but they are. There is surprising the bump in the polls the coalition does get if they can turn the government if they can turn the guns on the opposition over that. What do you reckon, Dom? Yeah, it's a tricky one, that and. Um, wasn't it today that he's just lost a, a vote in Parliament about this um, yeah, yeah. Manus refugees to Australia? Yeah, that's and, the vote uh, that they've just lost. Yeah, keep going, Dom. Okay. You're going to say something? Yeah, no. It's just that wasn't it Labor that introduced that policy in the first place? That no boat people will ever come to Australia. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're backing down on it, and and you know it's, it's horrible that they that they're there. But um, we should try and relocate them somewhere. I mean, I probably changed my mind. I'd have to say. It wasn't the bill only for medical evacuations anyway. It wasn't a bill to bring them all to Australia. It was it just... It was only for medical evacuations. That's all it was about. And the idea is that they then get sent back once they've been medically exactly. cleared. Of course, once they're on our shores in a hospital, then they'll be able to make a claim under Australian laws for asylum, which they can't do on Haru. So that's the point, is... Um, that once they're in the country, they'll be able to make that claim that they couldn't make otherwise. So, but you're right. Essentially, the whole thing is they get permission to come in and be treated medically and then be returned. But it it opens up that. Well, don't you get the feeling that a uh, quite a lot of the general community is a little bit disturbed by people dying on Manus due to you know not being evacuated when they actually really needed to be. Agreed. Yeah, and that was disgusting, that young bloke that yes. got an infection in he his foot. A, Iranian, I think. I think the yeah. mood has changed from yeah, John so. Howard days. I think so. Um, so, so yeah. I don't see Labor really losing too much ground on it, to be honest. Mm. Oh, we'll have to know. wait and see. Yeah. Mm. Did you guys see any of the um, – Don, did you watch any of the State of the Union address, Donald Trump? Just, just I try say, to say it. Try to stay out of American politics. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, you, you don't like a good go train crash. Well, <laughs> 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 my wife follows it avidly, but um, no, I, I just can't stand it. It's, it's, you know, if you can see our country in about ten years' time, if it's headed in the same direction, that'll be us. Yes. Well, that's why I like looking at America. Is I just think it's a window <laughs> into the future of, of so many things that we've described on this podcast, you know, the rise of this sort of evangelical style activist politicians, it, it's all 
imported from America. So there are definitely elements, uh, you know, the, the Tea Party takeover of the Republicans. Now we've got that same sort of Tea Party takeover of the Liberal Party happening in Victoria and Western Australia. I, I think it's valuable to look at the Americans and to see what is happening. But have a listen to this little grab. Um, now, it's, hopefully it comes through to you. I think it should come through to you. Dom, I'm going to play a little bit of a grab from Donald Trump with the State of the Union address. So uh, have a listen to this. All children, born and unborn, are made in the holy image of God. The final part of my agenda is to protect American security. Did that make sense to anybody? No, it didn't. I thought he was going to say. I thought he was going to go off about about anti-abortion there, but no. Now, do you want the explanation for that? Do you know the explanation? Okay, I don't know the explanation. I got this from the Intercept. So, the Intercept's a great podcast, dear listener, on American politics. But Trump can't read; he's almost illiterate. Okay, and he probably only read that speech once. He didn't prepare himself, and what happened was. He, uh, it was a change of topic, a, a new paragraph that he didn't understand. So I'll play it again. But he was supposed to stop after talking about children, take a break, and then say the new topic of border security. I'll, I'll play it again and see if you get it. All children, born and unborn, are made in the holy image of God. New paragraph. The final part of my agenda is to protect American security. <laughs> he missed the new paragraph in his own speech. Yeah, yeah, so he's really <laughs> cocked it up. Jesus. It's, it just sounds so weird. You're talking about kids and then the final part of my thing, national security. What? what? So, State so of the he U- doesn't think Elizabeth Warren's going to win? <laughs> I don't think it so. remains to be seen. I mean, it's yeah. a long way away yet. But yeah. look, if you know, if you go by some of the reports during the election of people who are coming out of the woodwork to speak against him, there was one guy who was his ghostwriter for his book, who said the guy doesn't read. He doesn't seem to read anything. He has a short attention span, mm. and uh, that that really. Yeah, yeah, bears ter- out what you said. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Mm. The other thing about that, if you watch any of it, is, you know, he says a few words and it stops and everybody stands. The, the number of standing ovations in that speech and often, you know, of course, always the Republicans, but sometimes the Democrats as well. Like he got up and said, oh, there's a record number of minorities and women in the Congress. And... Or, all of these uh, Democrats got up and woot-wooed and, and applauded. And there were a number of times, I think, when he said, you know, uh, we're never going to be a socialist country and stuff like that. It's like he's a complete nutter, but on a significant number of occasions, the entire Congress gets up and applauds him with a standing ovation. It's sick. It's a broken, sick system they've got there. They're out of control. It's a big performance, isn't it, really? Yeah. And do you think that the Democrats who were applauding him were just trying to earn brownie points for themselves by appearing to be supportive of the country there's, rather than supportive of there's still this There's still this thing where there's respect for the office of the president and they That's need right. to say, 
no, this guy has completely. I have respect for the office exactly. of the president, and they this need, guy is just. That's exactly. Shat on it. it. Yeah. That's exactly. They need to give the public appearance of being mm. respectful of the office, and by standing up and clapping, they mm. they project that. Mm. Closer to home, football season's about to start, and I noticed the other day, and I've said this before. There's going to be uh, an NRL Indigenous All-Stars versus the Maori All-Stars. Dom, is that a good idea or a bad idea? Or it doesn't matter? No, I see where this is going. It's just uh, incredible. Um, why don't we have um, an all-white All-Stars? That would team? be racist, Dom. That would be racist. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, should, I shouldn't tell you who I work for, but it's a very large government organisation. Yep. And um, we Are, had, are you going to get fired for being on this podcast, Dom? I don't think any of them will listen to it. Okay. Let's <laughs> 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 no, hope we have identified positions that are only cultural positions that are identified as an Aboriginal person, and they have to go through every everything that we write or prepare has to go through their lens, and it basically has to um, meet the cultural sensitivities and not be um, racist, which, of course, nothing we write is, is overtly racist, but they have to approve that anything that uh, involves any other cultures, and especially Indigenous culture, and... Um, there's one person that gets to sign it off for the whole state on the basis of all other cultures. So let's get this right. The, the person who decides whether or not it's racist cannot be a person of European ancestry. Is that correct? That's correct. And that person is deemed to understand the sensitivities of, of all non-white cultural groups. Correct. Not just Aboriginal people. Not just Aboriginal people, all non-white. Wow! And have they ever said no? Go back and do it again. Yeah, we had one a case the other day. Right. Wow. It was a case of working in a culturally um, diverse workplace, and um, the example we had was of a American customer coming in wanting to buy um, a, a cake and they wanted very specific weights of everything and they gave it to you in ounces and you had to convert this in um, into grams for them. Right. And that wasn't culturally aware enough because that didn't take into account actually someone's race or culture. What? You're joking. So we had, we had to change it to make it more specific to a specific culture. You know, when you're working with, with cult, different people so from different backgrounds and different cultures, how should you behave around them? So, hang on, I'm I'm a bit confused here. So, this was a, a a policy about if somebody theoretically came into a cake shop and and quoted a a, yeah. and quoted and asked for something in pounds and ounces, it was mm-hmm. it was like a policy of how they were to respond. Is and well, there was a question around um, a topic of assessment, and uh, basically. The, that the part of the criteria that had to be covered was it had to be culturally, work, people working in a culturally diverse workplace and how they behave. Right. And um, because you were dealing with an, an American person with a different um, weight system, that wasn't culturally different enough. Right. This would blow my mind if I was involved in these sorts of things. I'd end so, up killing someone. So, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, well, you know where I'm getting with this one with the, yeah, the NRL Indigenous All-Stars versus the Maori All-Stars. 
I don't think this would happen in America. No. Like if they were to propose a football or a basketball game of blacks versus whites. Yeah, it wouldn't go down at all well. Yeah, yeah. I just See, the Americans have got a more um, developed idea of nation, I think, than what we do. And, you know, because they, like they, they talk about, you know, I am an Italian-American, but, you know, there's always the American throwing it in on that. Yes. So they still have a fair amount of throwback to their original ancestry, yeah. but they always finish it off by saying American. And I think they've got so many scars from segregation that they would recognise the danger of segregating Absolutely. a football team. But we don't get it. But, you know, it happens every year, this thing, and I look at it and I just shake my head every time, but I'm the only voice that I've ever heard that says, what the hell are we doing? This is a racist, stars, yeah. a racist mm. system of selecting a football team. Yeah. Oh, dear. Mm. Okay. Um, but you- Trevor, if you think about it, you, you're actually not qualified to make a judgment on No, that. clearly not. No, that's, that's right. I'm, I'm biased and privileged and and therefore incapable Get of putting myself. Get back in your lane, Trevor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Dom, I've asked you a few times whether you've liked certain people. Like I've asked you whether you like, you know, Tony Abbott and whether you like Scott Morrison. Here's one I'm going to ask. Do you like Jordan Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually don't mind Jordan Peterson. Yeah, but do you like him? <laughs> I, I like what he says. Now he has some silly beliefs, and he talks about you know, the story being stories of culture and the way people dealt with with things in the past, and perhaps you know puts a, a, a lot more um, emphasis on the stories of religion than religion itself. And I don't sort of follow that, but he, he's the only voice out there of reason at the moment. For, what um, the only voice on on what issue? Well, one of the only voices of reason, you know, about the SJW rubbish and the, and the stuff that goes on. I've got a thing about Jordan Peterson and was our original beer sponsor. We've we've corresponded privately over this, and I'm I'm trying to convince him that, uh, but that both Jordan Peterson and Stephen Pinker are not to be looked up to. But I'll start with Jordan Peterson. Did you ever see the? Did you ever listen to the podcast with Jordan Peterson with um, Sam Harris? I did the first one. Yes, but he did a second one. Yes, but after the first one, did you think to yourself, this guy is nuts because he can't agree on some things are just true? That was exactly what I thought the first time. And I thought, um, I I better listen to this guy in another context because I think Sam didn't even get past that, you know, the truth not being the truth unless it's provable to be the truth forever. Yes. Or something like that. Something wacky like that. So, Mm. um, that was wacky. Yeah. So, I don't know. He's got this sort of guru status, and he's arriving in Australia, and he's going to be on Q and A. Did you know that? Is he? Yeah, he's got a seat on Q and A coming up. So, look, he's not to be trusted. He's got some wacky ideas. He came to light because of Bill C sixteen in Canada, which simply added gender identity to the list of characteristics that were protected from discrimination, unfair discrimination. And he beat that up into a whole story about, I don't want to have to say she or je rather than he or her. And I refuse to have this form of speech imposed upon me, was how he really came to the fore. 
But mm. he he really overplayed what was happening there and his statements about how he could potentially be fined for hate speech and stuff are, were clearly legally wrong and there's, you know, look it up and you can find where he absolutely overstated the situation. Um, the other things he does, uh, uh, he's argued that feminism and policies such as no-fault divorce have had adverse effects on gender relations and have destabilised society. He's attributed the rise of Donald Trump and far-right <coughs> European politicians to what he says is a push to feminise men. He doubts the scientific consensus on climate change, saying most of the global warming posturing is a masquerade for anti-capitalists who have a go at the Western patriarchy. He's a very right-wing pro-capitalist kind of guy and... Um, uh, we're pro-capitalist. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you can be pro-capitalist, but you can also you can also acknowledge the need for regulation oh, and absolutely. fair taxation. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. Rose, I think he's I think he's as almost as left as we are, and I don't what? think he's, he's, um, no, he's, he's, he's a darling of the right. Yes, he is. Of course, he is. Yeah, he does. He, he, he defends he some of the stuff they go on with um, just for the sake of free speech, but I don't think he's he's, he's a you know, conservative. Oh, he's definitely very pro-capitalist. I mean, when you say that global warming, uh, you mm. doubt it because it's a masquerade for anti-capitalists to have a go at the Western patriarchy. That doesn't give something away? Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't heard that bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that I don't like about him is uh, he rose to fame because he was complaining about these artificially constructed words like Z and Zer. But he himself redefines common words and applies his own meaning to them that nobody else uses as he's talking about stuff. Like, do you believe in God? Well, it depends on what you mean by God. Do you mean the blah, 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 blah? Well, we mean the common everyday understanding of God, you know, a divine power who's sort of observing, sometimes interfering in the world. You know, like he really um, abuses the English language, I think, uh, in a way, you know, I think if you know what you're really talking about, you should be able to explain it in simple sentences. And he purposefully complicates you things. You think he's deliberately vague yeah. because he, yes. he, 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 um, yeah. he milks it, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. But here's the other thing, Don, that you wouldn't like is he will say that, like I saw him in a debate with Matt Delahunty. Delahunty. Yeah. And he would tell atheists that they're actually theists because they derive their moral code by osmosis from Christian ethics. This, this is the sort of line that he says. He says, well, you're a good person because you've essentially absorbed the Christian ethic through your culture. So yeah, I've got a link I've to it. You, I've heard him say that. Yeah. That doesn't annoy you enough? Like you, after, <laughs> after your little intro, am I convincing you? That annoys me. It's pretty annoying. It sort of almost sounds semi-sensible on the whole feminism versus patriarchy that, you know, that he's, goes on. He's good on, he's good on freedom of speech and he's good on identity politics, but after mm. that, it's nonsense. And um, I'll just read a bit here. Uh I've also read a thing where he said, really, life is just suffering and that, so you know, Buddhist the moral thing to do would have been not to be even born. Like a line along those lines that life is such suffering that really you'd have to 
say that bringing somebody into life is is an unfair thing to do to them. Like I've heard him saying this sort of nonsense. And um, I'm just reading from an article here. I'll quote this bit. Peterson's elusive style makes critiquing him like trying to nail jelly to a cloud, but I've tried <laughs> to indicate I've tried to indicate alternatives to his assumptions about morality, individualism, reality, and the meaning of life. If you go for Christian mythology, narrow-minded individualism, obscure metaphysics, and existentialist angst, then Jordan Peterson is the philosopher for you. <laughs> but if you prefer evidence and reason, look elsewhere. So anyway, dear listener, uh, I've got another friend, Matt, out there who is pro-Peterson and he's got this guru status and uh, not to be trusted. I'll get on to Pinker in a bit, but he and Stephen Pinker are not to be trusted. People you can trust, I reckon, are Sam Harris, uh, Matt Dillahunty in atheist sort of things. Um, I can't think of anyone who's on. Oh, the other one on my uh, Iron Fist shit list would be uh, Dave Rubin, like do you listen to any Dave Rubin at all? I used to, but yeah. I just... I, uh, I don't know why you're so hard on Dave Rubin, to be honest. Well, Dom? What about I, you? I don't follow Dave Rubin. No, okay. I don't listen to him. I don't follow him, but I do listen to some of his interviews if he's interviewing somebody I'm interested in. Okay. He would only have interviewed a right-winger. I don't agree. No, I guarantee you. He would only have interviewed... He says, I want to discuss ideas and I want to have to discuss things, but... He only ever takes people from the right, and uh, there's lots of discussion I, threads I I've seen where, where different leftists have tried to um, have conversations with him, and he's not interested. No, he's, in, and he's, he's, he's very that, lightweight. He's he, interviewed that um, that female academic who uh, got into trouble. What was her name? At a university because of yeah. free speech. She oh, wasn't, there you go. She wasn't a right wing. Right-winger. She wasn't it, a right winger. It's that libertarian right wing freedom of speech group. He will talk to them, but he won't talk to anybody with a leftist socialist um like you. Yeah, like me. <laughs> <laughs> have have you contacted him and asked for an interview? Yeah. Not gonna bother. Okay. <laughs> the other one I wanna Okay, here's another one, Dom. Do you like Stephen Pinker? Now, I've listened to him speak. I haven't read any of his books, but I listened to him. He was interviewed, I think, by um, Joe Rogan. Right, yep. And, and it, it made sense with a lot of the stuff he said as well. He was talking about, you know, the crime rates actually going down. You know, it was, um, it was just not as bad as it was ever in history and things like that. So, yeah, yeah I, I haven't looked into his facts because they're really hard to look up yourself. Yep. You sort of have to trust someone who's um, telling them. Yeah. So, dear listener, if you think Stephen Pinker is worthwhile, I've got a link. Uh, and you talk man. I like Stephen Pinker. Yep. You can't trust him. He misquotes people and he is misleading with his statistics and he will, in his books, take a quote saying that somebody says this and, in fact, that person believes the, the exact opposite. Mm. So he cherry-picks quotes and misquotes people and I've got a link to some articles uh, and this is another one where Woz is a big Stephen Pinker fan so uh, good on you Woz yeah it's good to have disagreements and uh, the reason I mention it is because Meredith Doig on her uh, she was interviewed on something uh, representing the Rationalist Society and in the article she said that Stephen Pinker's book Enlightenment Now was almost a bible for rationalists and that is not the case. So I've got articles from Phil Torres, uh, Dr. Jason Hickel, 
And David Sloan Wilson basically saying that uh, either he's wrong or misleading about different things. And David Sloan Wilson is the guy who came up with that whole chicken theory, the psycho chicken. So one of my favourite sort of behavioural psychologists. So um, Pinker completely uh, describes that process as a scientific dust bunny and Sloan Wilson basically shows uh, statistics from surveys of experts in the field who have all come round to believing that. And so Pinker is just totally off the mark. And one of the other ones talks about Pinker's graphs on poverty, which are really misleading and explains in depth why that's the case. So he's another right-winger, Pinker. You've got to remember, like, he'll turn up at a Davis conference and saying, the world is much better. Nothing, you know, sure, things to worry about, but on the whole, onwards and upwards, things are great. And, you know, guys like that get paid money by the right to say that sort of stuff. And, uh, of course, he's the darling of Bill Gates and, and those sorts of people because he's essentially saying, our current system is pretty good. What are you worried about? You shouldn't be worried. Everything's going fine. I, I think That's, you're exaggerating a bit. He's an optimist about... He's definitely an optimist, it, and, and he's saying it, definitely things are better than they used to be, but yeah, I don't think he's, and, and saying he's saying that there's the, nothing to worry he's about. He's saying that a pessimist like me is overstating the pessimism. Are you a pessimist? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me before this? <laughs> Tom, am I a pessimist? Yeah. You know, sometimes you are, not all the time. Sometimes right. I wonder if you're really the own, the own fist. <laughs> so, so not, yeah, different times Scott's tried to take over the mantle of the own fist. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you, know, you know what I think it is? I think, I think people like um, us, and I know from you guys because I listen to you a lot, um, mm. I, I think we're hyper-aware of what the failings are today of, of everything, of politics, of religion, mm. you know, anti-secularism, just the way we are. And the everyday person, I, I work with in an office of you know, about 14 people, and there's only one other person who even knows what uh, identity politics or SJW culture is. Yeah. Good point. And everyone else is oblivious to it. And, mm. and the fact that religion is, is not harmful, it's just neither here nor there. It's just something that's there. Yeah. They don't know much about it. And they, they don't let want to... their kids go to um, scripture lessons. And they don't really want to talk about it at lunchtime as well? Is that right? Um, well, I've tried, but I quickly steered in the opposite direction and stopped, didn't talk about it because I get upset. Yeah, because, like, Woz is an interesting guy. Like, he's formed yeah. this uh, running group which, and social groups. There's hundreds of people get involved. Like, he had mm. hundreds of people are know him very, very well and look up to him as a uh, as a little demigod in his own little circle there, Woz. <laughs> <laughs> But he finds he can't talk to people about these issues and that's why he listens to the podcast and wants to join us and talk about it because amongst that hundreds of people who do that running and, and, and triathlon training and other social things that he's organised, none of them want to talk about this stuff. But it's like what you've said several times before, Trevor. Most, most people, are, if they're comfortable in life, if they're comfortable in their little bubble, they just they, they can't be bothered, Yes, you know, looking beyond it to see if there's anything they should be concerned about about out there. See, my better half used to be like that, but he has, after, you know, putting up with me for 11 years or something like that, he has 
come round now where he actually said... You've in, turned him into a pessimist. No, not a pessimist, but he said the other day there was something on the news about the Catholic Church, and he says, no, oh, bloody Catholics, you know, blah, 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 this. it was on the religious nutters, blah, 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 blah. Right, ten, ten years ago he wouldn't have said it. No, but he wouldn't know, have said it. Yeah. I'm surprised you characterise Pinker as an arch-right winger because, to me, I see him as, as a bit of an antidote to some of the right-wing alarmists like Trump, you know, who try to paint a, a picture of doom and gloom just outside the borders of the country. Whereas Pink, Pinker Pink, says... Pinker look, will tell you that trickle-down's great. I'm not... Has he said that? Th- this is the theme of Pinker, is that, is that the world is going well, that poverty is being eradicated, that our system is working. See, I so, don't... I've, I've so. never come across him touch on that particular theme and everything I've read by so, him, so. which is not... Extensive, I'll admit. But, but, but his whole stick is surely... You're, that things are not as bad as people claim. Correct. Yeah. And that generally speaking, it's onward and upward and don't be so negative. Which is That's hard his to, book. It, it is hard to argue with that. when you It know, is. It, it is hard to argue with that. No, when it's said, not. It is because China has dragged hundreds of millions of people out of poverty and they've done that by exporting their way out yeah. of it. And yeah. even yeah. poor no, no, people no. in our country no. drive we, cars and live in what, houses. What, okay. <laughs> We'll come back to Pinker another time with specifics. Yeah, okay. But I've got links to the articles. Read them. I and, will read them, And yes. it will demonstrate that what he talks about with poverty, depending how you define it, you can say there's more poor people now than there were before. There because probably are more he, poor he, he people now than there was. He statistics about money at, from eras where people didn't have money. Mm. Like people mm. were just subsistence farmers or they were serfs on a – on an estate of a mm. wealthy landlord, mm. you didn't actually have money. So, but you were fed, you were clothed, you were sheltered, you were and you fed. had leisure time. They were barely fed. No, depending on the circumstances. So the point is, just because you had zero dollars, you actually, in poverty terms, in actual standard of living, you may well have been doing better than somebody who's got a dollar twelve a week, but is in a Bangladesh t-shirt factory, like. So yeah, but, this is the But point. they didn't have Xbox or any of that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, there's a link to some articles, dear listener, yeah, and we'll, we'll be back them. to Stephen Pinker. Um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to call my, my mate Dave Rubin and yeah. see if he thinks call this is Vox. okay. We'll, we'll, one day we'll, we'll have a debate. We'll have the Pinker debate and we'll have the, the – it might be me on one side <laughs> and the 12th man and Dom and Woz and, on the other and I might have to rope in the velvet glove on my side. Well, we'll have to you wait can, and see. I, mean, I, will, I will read the articles yeah. and I will approach it with an open mind. However, yeah. I do think that it is very hard to argue with the, with the rate of poverty. It well, is. that you can look at the articles. And, Absolutely. I will I'll look at the articles and we'll see where we're coming from. I mean, look at America. Mm-hmm. 50 years ago compared to today, mm. are there more people in poverty than there were 50 years ago? Probably are. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Guys, we haven't spoken about penises for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Is it overdue? That was a subtle shift. Yep. Um, <laughs> and this was an interesting story because what was the one, the most painful one I can recall was about the Aboriginal guys with the, uh, oh. what was that called again? Uh, sub-incision. Sub-incision. Yeah, that's pretty awful. So, you know, look back in the archives, dear listener, if you're interested in sub-incision. But um, we've spoken about, uh, well, female genital mutilation is is quite rightly described as abhorrent mm. and we need to do whatever we can to make sure it doesn't happen. 
But each and every day, young boys are circumcised. Mm. And I came across a story about a guy who was circumcised as a young baby, and he was really pissed about it. So apparently you can do things about it, dear listener, males out there who have been circumcised. Mm. Um, I'll read part of this article. Because I was a boy, it was legal for medical practitioners to restrain me, separate my foreskin from my glands, and remove my foreskin. This is known medically as circumcision. It is also mutilation as it removed functional healthy tissue and left a scar on my penis. Mm. Modern foreskin restoration can involve a number of methods, from manual and taping methods to the use of various devices colloquially referred to as tugging devices, as well as surgical procedures. I started with manual methods, found that the taping methods irritated my skin too much, and then moved on to using a number of tugging devices. Initially, I also used silicon O-rings as a retainer, so to keep what skin I had restored in place over my glands, protecting it from chafing. Now that I have enough skin that my glands is covered, I rarely use O-rings. So basically, this guy has been attaching stuff and stretching the skin and recreating a foreskin. Who would have thought? Indeed, but, you know, (laughs) more power to him if that's what he wants. Yeah, that's Um, possible. I... (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure where to go with that. I mean, it's just a. I personally think a lot of people have to get over it. You know, their parents probably made the decision thinking they were doing the right thing at the time. Mm. You know, it's. I, you know. It's probably something that you can live with. Absolutely, um, you can live with it. Yeah. Whereas uh, what they do to women with you uh, can't. Uh, yeah. that's that's really abhorrent. It is abhorrent yeah. because My, women, women have, it, with the mutilation of women, it removes any possibility of having sexual pleasure, depending on on the degree of yeah. the of the procedure. But look, mm. you know, that's not to say that we approve of circumcision. Certainly, <laughs> I don't approve of it, and I think it it is an assault on a baby, and you know, it's it's non consensual. Removal of body tissue, as you said, normally normal functioning tissue, you know. Do you, do you know what happens here without anaesthetic? It so happens in, in some Jewish communities? On the infant. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah. the way that Jewish people do it is a little bit weird. So, so yeah. They get a, a, they, they, a rabbi to suck it off. Well, not necessarily suck it off, but they'll actually cut the foreskin without anaesthetic on young babies in yeah. Australia. It happens really in Australia with that? Yes, it does. Barbaric. Shit. Yep. No the case. Yes. Yep. So pretty awful. Mm. Dom, yeah. I, won't, I won't ask you, Dom, if you've been circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> I don't approve. We won't get that uh, close. Um, <laughs> listen, while on this topic, I'll briefly divert to uh, some voicemail. Uh, we've got a voicemail. Before so, we move on. Oh, yeah, sorry. Did you see the article in The Guardian? About uh, yeah. F- about vulva? Yes. That was interesting, wasn't it? They had like dozens and dozens of photos of, mm. of women's vulvas. Yes. And, uh, you know, to break down the, the, the prohibition on looking at them, talking about them, discussing them. But it was also, um, it touched on the subject of, of women who have uh, procedures to modify the, mm. the, the shape and the form of their vulva. Right. For what, you know, for aesthetic reasons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
just thought I'd mention that. I didn't read the article. I just I don't want, I just I don't at want the, the listeners to think we're, a, <laughs> you know, because we have been accused of being a bit blokey. I don't want the, the women folk out there to think that we're obsessed with our penises <laughs> and totally ignoring their vulva. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> Dear listener, if you feel we've spoken too much about penises over the course of 188 episodes and there should be more vulva talk, let us know. Um, yeah, okay, here's a voicemail. I'll just, uh, I'll just play this one. Okay, here we go. People who love robots are digi sexuals. It's apparently a phenomenon. So there are people, really? who, yes, people who are actually um, loving robots and having digi sex with their future. Cheryl, sweetie, come here and bring the aluminium foil with you. <laughs> oh, hello, Mrs. Hoover. <laughs> Thank you, Landon Hardbottom. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time coming, Landon. I haven't heard from you for a while, Landon. <laughs> Thank you very now much, I Landon. Now I know why. <laughs> Um, thank you to our patrons. Look, I haven't got the list here in front of me, but uh, you are appreciated, all of you. Actually, I've travelled back from the future to the present with uh, with the list. Thank you, patrons. You are much appreciated. Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayno, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bromlin, Matt J, Robert. Rod, Palais, Matic Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, The Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday and Aiden. Thanks to the non-patrons, Dean, Ken, Was and the Beneficiary. And thanks to the beer sponsors, Was, Wayno, Landon, Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave and from tomorrow, Adam. Thank you very much for uh, for putting some money up and uh, and supporting the show. Much appreciated. And there's a group out there called the Twelfth Man Fanboys. Yeah. Uh, Was is their leader. And, Two of them now. Three uh, of them now. Yeah. yeah. Aiden is a member, and so is Matthew. Uh, put your names forward if you want to join the Twelfth Man Fanboy Club. Uh, <laughs> it's started and it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, now I'm going to go back to some different topics that I just skipped over there. Um, uh, Franking credits. Yeah. This, this is going to be a big one. It is going to be a big one. If you can get people interested in franking credits. Yeah, yeah, Dom, good luck at lunchtime. Will people talk about franking credits at lunchtime, Dom, where you are? <laughs> I don't think they understand franking credits. Yeah. Do I, frankly? Right. Okay. Oh, well, okay. well you've come to the right place then. A franking credit <laughs> is a method by which you get a refund of the company tax that has been paid on the dividends that have been paid to you. That doesn't mean anything, Scott. It does. <laughs> okay. What it, what it does is it, it eliminates it eliminates the double taxation of the income. So you get a franking credit in your personal income tax return that comes off your the income tax that you have to pay on those let's use fully an, franked dividends. Let's use an example. Let's Examples explain this the best thing. Franked me. Here's, here's how it works. Let's assume you've got a company that's an Australian company that can't shift its profits offshore mm. and actually pays tax. So we're really limiting the field now. Yeah, so the let's f- talk about a bank. For the four banks. Yeah, <laughs> for example. And let's say, uh, so they earn money and they pay 30% corporate tax rate on it. And then they issue a dividend. So they pay a dividend to a shareholder. 
and the shareholder gets $1,000 as a dividend, for example. If that shareholder is really wealthy and is earning, um, you know, 200000 a year, so they're already on the top marginal tax rate of 47%. When they get that $1,000, the government says, you know what? You don't have to pay 47% on that. The, uh, the company's already paid 30 You only have to pay 17% on that $1,000 dividend. Good luck to you. So it's an attractive investment for people who have got high income and therefore high tax that they can earn income that kind of gets reduced. Mm-hmm. That's a franking credit. Mm-hmm. So what uh, – now, here's the thing. Australia is – of the 34 OECD nations, Australia is only one of four nations that actually does that. But Australia actually goes further because – Remember when I said that $1,000 and it's paid to a really rich person who's already paying tax at 47%? If it's paid to somebody who's really poor and doesn't pay any tax, like say they've got no other income, our government says, you know that $1,000? The company paid 30% on that, uh, $300. Um, And you can't use that as a credit um, because you don't have any other income we're just going to give you the $300 like as a, as a rebate, as a, just a gift. That's what we do. So does that sound bizarre to you, Dom? It's extremely bizarre. But that's what we do. That's brought in by the Howard that government. That was brought in by Scott. the Howard government, and it was during the time when the rivers of gold were flowing from the resources boom and the company tax profits and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's where all the money was coming from, so they decided to spend it, and they decided to spend it in such a way that gave some of it back. However, it's wrong to do that because the franking credit was designed to be a reduction in your income tax. It was never designed to be given out as a, as a refund. Correct. And we are the only country in the world that does that. Hmm. And, of course, there are a small, you know, where do most of the franking credits go to? Nearly 75% goes to the top 10% of income earners. Like, that's where it all goes. But there, of course, will be some poor pensioners, some small income pensioners who get some, uh, who previously got this rebate and the Labor government is saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Like that's just giving money away when it just doesn't make sense. It's what they call negative taxation, isn't it? It, Well, yeah. It is negative taxation. And what they've done is they've actually modified their – because their proposal was knocked on the head by the government. So they modified it and they said, well, if you're a pensioner, we're still going to give you a refund of the franking credit. What kind of Is that the policy now, is it? It is. Okay. So if you're just a poor – An age pensioner? No, if you qualify for any sort of pension, you you're going to get. Qualify for any sort of pension, then you're oh, going to get okay. the you're going to get the refunded franking credit, right? But if you don't, then you're not. But mm. it's it's what it's saying is you don't have the correct income in order to get the credit. So uh, that's what we're doing. But there's lots of times where people don't have the correct income to get the credit. And the classic example would be if you're a a student and you're studying a business degree, but you're a student. You've got expenses associated with education, but you're working as a bottle washer at the local pub. Your income has nothing to do with the study that you're undertaking. Therefore, that study is not tax deductible. 
too bad. But if you were to follow this sort of rebate system, you would say, oh, no problem, you don't have the correct income, doesn't matter, we'll let you offset it anyway. But we don't do that. So students don't get to offset that income. So they don't get to take that expense from studying and apply it to, um, you know, the income that they're getting from dishwashing. We say to them, you don't have the right income, sorry, you don't get the credit. And that's what we should be saying to in the other situation. And we're the only country in the world that currently does it. And the um, Morrison government is going to go hard on this, scaring uh, old age pensioners about how much they're going to lose. That's why they're, they're calling it the retirement tax, which is nonsense. It's not the retirement tax. It's a, it is a simply ending the process of giving money back that you've never actually paid yourself. It's, it was really bloody criminal, the Howard government, to do it, really. Yeah, just a large yes from uh, Howard and Costello. Mm. So there we go. Um, um, Dom, did you have any other topics that we haven't come across that you would like to talk about? My biggest topic, mm. I do actually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my biggest topic is what, what do we do? What do we do to get our voice out there? I mean, I joined a secular party, but a small party I don't think is the answer. And I think you've alluded to you know, becoming a lobbyist or joining one of the um, bigger parties and swinging them around. Um, what do we do to get our message out there so that the world realises that you know, this way we're going isn't very good? It's the $64 million question. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hand over $20 every month to the National Secular Lobby and I do yeah. that because I felt that if we could get 1,000 people doing that, then that would be two hundred and forty grand a year, which would be more than enough for them to get going and try and build themselves up. So that's what I do because I feel that a lobby group is probably the best way to go. Um, I think that if you get a well-funded lobby group behind us, I think that's where we're going to go. So that's my little two cents worth. I think it's worth 20 bucks a month. Ah, uh, 12th man. Look, I, I see it as a, a very long game and I, I don't think unless you address the um, – the the lack of teaching about secularism and you know secular liberalism to school students unless you build in that kind of consciousness that there there are alternative ways of of looking at the world and and human life i i just don't think people hear it you know what i mean it's like when you're driving a car if you've never been a cyclist you you, you may never notice cyclists on the road and I think it's the same with people. If, if they've gone through their education and they've never had their, their intellectual horizons expanded, then, you know, it, you could have a, a very well-funded secular lobby out there. I just don't think people are going to hear the message unless they're really, you know, open to it. So I, I see it as essentially starting with, with school and education, getting rid of, you know, special religious instruction to start with and having a more broad-ranging and um, uh, general education, you know, secular education. But that comes with with chicken and egg. I think to get the secular education, we've got to have a well-funded national secular lobby that can actually then put the pressure on to actually have it change. 
You may be right, Scott, but um, I really think we've got to start with children. Yeah, I, I think we've I, got to start with children, but the only way you're going to be able to start with children is have a well-funded secular yeah. lobby. And the prob- problem partly is, of course, and I'm not saying all teachers are leftists by any means, and I, I know there's a broad range of types in the teaching profession, but, you know, we have to try to encourage teachers to be less partisan because some of them are actually quite partisan, whether they're, in, you know, conservatives in, you know, religiously run schools or, you know, somewhat uh, leftist, leaning social justice warrior types in the state education system. You know, we have to get a, an education system that um, is nonpartisan and has a, a broad-based general education on, you know, anthropology, history, politics, uh, philosophy, all those things, so that kids grow up with a, a more enriched sort of general view of, of the world and of life. But but you're assuming that 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 sort of improvement of the knowledge of the general public then results in politicians who think the same way. And, well, where do and, the politicians and, come from? Well, the political process has been hijacked by the religious nutters. Yeah, and I don't think that and, they would as as easily hijack it if people were more uh, aware I, of. Here's the point I'm making: is that. I don't think you can just rely on the general populace education and hope that it percolates to the political class. I think you have to really concentrate on the political class and that's what the religious groups did. Like they said, we need power to get our bullshit batshit laws in place. We will run these sorts of young leadership groups that I opened up the podcast Mm. with, we will, um, you know, we will take control of the Liberal Party and we will pre-select a religious nutter and it only takes 300 of us to do it. Like, it's that control of the political system that you, you could have... Like, we've got at the moment a cabinet full of people who are completely thinking differently to the general public on a lot of our issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, so and then when they we, lose... It's ultimately, yeah. When they lose and then when you get Dutton and the, his bunch of morons taking control of the leadership, then they'll be out on their ass for a generation. But look, why do people vote for them? Because I, I think it's because the government has funneled so much money into religiously run schools that they've prospered. And they teach their kids, you know, that uh, religion and, and God is a real thing. Mm. So, of course, they're going to vote for idiots like Morrison, you know. Uh, if, if you have kids growing up with a more sceptical view of religion in general, mm-hmm. then they're going to be less inclined to vote for those turkeys. You know, part yeah, of it I, is – sorry, go on, Dom. I was going to say, I don't, I don't think a lot of people realise how – how religious, you know, people like Scott Morrison are. They think that's just a, a silly part of the stuff he does, mm. but um, they're not savvy enough to realise what how, how bad it is. And then it's just apathy. Yeah, because we'll, we'll suck up a little bit of religion. I, I had a, a friend years ago who sent his kids to Catholic primary school and Catholic high school. He said, "I prefer them to go to a better school because I don't care if they suck up a bit of religion, but they're going to a better class of people." Yeah. Yeah. And not realising how, how, in the end, uh, I suppose, how bad it really, really was for them. And also they've bought into that, uh, that myth that the religious schools somehow 
raise kids with proper morals, you know? Well, what happens in the private schools is is they just get rid of the problem kids because they can they can they can do it. So, so you failed to mention when you when you mentioned that. Uh, that yeah, you go and tell. You've you've googled the. Um, I, I had a look and look look at the personalities in here. We've got yeah. Bill Short and we've so, got. So just so we're talking about um, what I opened with, which was the the National Student Leadership Forum, and it's the people involved. Are you know Abbott, Abetz, Corey Bernardi, all those sorts are getting their tentacles in, but but also Bill Shorten's in there, yeah. Jason Clare's in there, yeah. uh, Patrick Dodson. Well, he's religious yeah. anyway, but um, and a whole bunch of people that I never would have thought would be so very religious in their personal lives. Yeah, um, I guess the other part of the story, Dom, I reckon is that we don't tell a story enough about the alternative to religion being just a good citizen and why you should be a good citizen instead of just a selfish asshole doing your own thing. Like that's the missing piece of the puzzle is we're saying the religious groups are nutters and don't have anything to do with them, but we're not then coalescing around an alternative positive idea we're just <coughs> negative in saying they're wrong but we're not actually saying here is the right way and around a central story if you like <coughs> and that yeah. sort of i think we need to develop the idea of of joining this good citizenship movement mm. um as a motivating thing to get people thinking along the right lines both in terms of secularism and in terms of economically just sharing more of the wealth, taking some from the billionaires and putting it more in the hands of the poor. I, do you, I don't know. That's, I think that's part of the missing part, piece of the puzzle is the, is the alternative attractive story of join us, here's what we're doing, we're good citizens. I think a great time to do that is whenever there's a scandal, you know, religious or financial scandal. Is to say, hey, we um, let's use this as a start for ourselves. You know, let's say, yeah. hey, secularism isn't so bad. Paying taxes isn't so bad. You know, just look at these mm. companies getting away with hundreds of millions of dollars uh, income without paying a cent tax. Yeah. Do you, do you think people yeah. don't have too short a memory about these sort of things? They do. This is yeah. why you need to wait for the opportunity and just jump on it and just be all over it. See, we, we need a rich benefactor. Yeah, well, that's, that's we part do. of it. And, yeah. and part of it is having all of the arguments ready. So if by chance a Daniel Andrews sort of character ends up in power in Canberra, you can say, uh, here's some really good reasons why these things need to change. That school chaplaincy program, like we've got an issue with a, <coughs> with a, a homestay boy who needs some help. And, and I'm thinking if there was a proper psychologist that he could see, at the school, it would be so much – a psychologist going in for one day a week rather than a stupid school chaplain for five days a week would be just money so, so much, much better, better spent. spent. Yeah, um, absolutely. So – but, you know, Dom, the whole sort of non-religious secular movement just doesn't cooperate. Like, they just don't get together and coalesce around mm-hmm. a positive idea. So – it's the 
it's no, a tough. Have you, have you got an easier? Have you got an easier question than that one? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's why I think that we've got to find something that you know is going to bring everyone together, and that is the national secular lobby. Yeah. I do think that that is something that should be well funded. Yeah. So I know, if I can get nine hundred and ninety nine other people out there to give twenty bucks a month, we'll have we'll have a well funded national secular lobby. It's just going to be groups like that. It's got to be just well meaning, good groups like uh, like the John Menadue blog, for example. Is, have you read any of that at all, Dom? Have you ever gone on the John Menadue blog? I, I went once on um, your recommendation. I had right. a quick look, but I haven't been back. I really should spend more time okay. on it. Okay. Like, it is very good. It's really good. And, you know, I'm happy to give up all of the national papers if it meant I could, rather than giving up the John Menadue blog, because there's people with real knowledge who just <clears> tell it as it is. And that's one of the things that's really lacking. So National Secular Lobby, John Menadue blog, this podcast, <laughs> other things like that who are just trying to get the message out. I don't know. I just don't know. Mm. Yeah. What like, about the Greens? They sort of <laughs> – I mean, they they sort of uh, present themselves as secular, don't they, except they and, then they embrace and, all this – And they are, but they're hocus, totally hocus riddled, spirituality. They're riddled with the social justice oh, identity no. politics nonsense. Not to mention the, the indigenous, you know, welcome to country bullshit. Yep. yep. So the, they're totally riddled yeah. with that. I, um, yeah. So – any other easier topics, Don, that we could solve? <laughs> oh, not about easy topics. I don't know easy yeah. topics that have a solution. Yeah. So, well, gentlemen, I reckon we've done enough for one podcast. Um, so we'll hold off the topics till uh, the rest of the agenda until next week, obviously. But, um, dear listener, thanks for tuning in. Don, thanks for being a patron and for joining in and That's keep listening. Yeah. I will. Yep. I won't have to listen to this one now. No. <laughs> That's what I yep. used to yep. say. I, f- I feel bad. I feel bad for charging you a dollar for it. <laughs> um, Scott, say your farewells. Thank you very much, everyone, for oh. tuning in. Thank you very much. To, oh, beer, beer report. Yes. Uh, tonight we had um, some white rabbit, which was left over from Ken, was it? Okay. Yep. Uh, White rabbit was left over from who was it? I can't remember. Okay. I think it was a bloke that um, dropped a six pack over to uh, Trevor. Okay. And we've oh, also. That, that was from. Um, Wayno. Wayno. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we also had another little creatures from uh, David. Thank yeah. you very much, David. Thanks, Wayno and David. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. That's us. Thank you, dear listener. See you, everyone. Thanks, Thanks very much. Listening. Thanks, Don. Good night. See you another time. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Bye. Good night. Bye. 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 Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you 
go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon. And there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.